theme is called Exposed. So if you look up Exposed, I'm not going to say dictionary, because who uses that anymore? Google, right? Just go to Google. Don't go to the dictionary. And it says this, not covered or hidden, but it is visible. Not sheltered or protected from the weather. In a vulnerable position or situation. In a vulnerable situation, position. And how many of us have ever felt like we've been exposed before? But this morning, we're not talking about what we've been exposed to, what's happened in our life, but we're talking about somebody else, and we're going to get there. My title today, which is so fun, Checkmate. Turn your name and say, Checkmate. Checkmate. Which, again, thanks to Google, means to block completely, or to check a chess opponent, king, their king, so that escape is not possible, right? Checkmate. As we have up here, our checkers, right? Chess up here. You can do chess or checkers on that one, but we're doing chess this morning. Checkmate. So with that, we're going to start with Matthew chapter 24, starting in verse 4. Jesus told them, don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah. They will deceive many. You will hear of wars, threats of wars, but don't panic. These things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There'll be famines, earthquakes, many parts of the world. But this is only the first of the birth pains, with more to come. Hallelujah. <clears throat> then you'll be arrested, persecuted, and killed. Gets better. You'll be hated all over the world because you're my followers. Many will turn away from me, betray, hate each other. Verse 14, 11. Many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Sin, wrongdoing will be rampant everywhere. And the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all the nations will hear it, and then the end will come. Matthew 24, 37. When the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets, parties, weddings, right up to the time Noah entered his boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. And this is the way it's going to be when the Son of Man comes. Two men will be working in the field. One's going to be taking, the other left. Two women will be grinding flour at the mill. One will be taking, the other left. You too must keep watch, for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. But understand this. If a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. You also must be ready for all the time, for the Son of Man will come when at least expected. And so this morning, this has really nothing to do with our theme or with the message, but as just kind of a highlighter of what's going on in our world today. And if you know and understand, Jesus said it's important to understand the days and the times that we live in. And I don't know if you know, but Israel, the Jewish people that are spoken about in here, their story, their livelihood, they're in war right now. They've been attacked. People have come in. They have killed men, women, children. They are dragging them through the streets. And there's been wars and fighting going on with these people forever, forever. And so every time there's a war in Israel, Everyone stops, and they say, is this the end? Is this the end? 
there is a massive war. And the crazy thing is, it's all predicted in the Bible. So everything that was happening and everything that we're seeing, it is all prediction, it's all prophecy that is unfolding as we see it. And the truth of the matter is, Jesus said, he said, listen, number one, don't let anyone mislead you. As, as we think about, you know, as you think about future events, two things can happen. One, we can get scared, right, and think, oh my gosh, you know, is it closer than, than what I thought and expected? And then we can start doing drastic things. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you feel like you need to take drastic measures, right? Sometimes as a man, as a woman, as a parent, you know, as a friend, I'm going to step in and I'm going to kick some holy butt right now, right? Or, <clears throat> you know, whatever kind of butt you want to kick. But unfortunately, there's a lot of people in the church and out of the church that use what goes on to dictate, to control, and manipulate. Jesus said, don't let anyone mislead you. Secondly, the thing that Jesus said, he said, listen, you have to stay focused on the task. And what is that task? To be ready for me to come back. And so, see, we can all get stuck in thinking the world's coming to an end. We're going to get bombed next. Let's go to Walmart. Let's clear out all the water and toilet paper. All those things, right? There's so many things that we can get stuck on, but you know what happens a lot of times as people will use fear to control, manipulate, is we lose sight of the task. And the task is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The task is to keep our hands and feet and mouth moving in the direction of the gospel. We can't let things mislead us, and we can't let people or fear creep into our hearts at all of what's happening next. Because there's a lot of things that are going to happen next. He also said people are going to be killed and persecuted. It's not something we want to talk about, right? But Jesus said there's a lot of things that are going to happen next. Don't worry about what happens next. Worry about what God wants you to do today. Focus on today. Focus on what he wants you to do. Be the light. Be that good example. And with that, we jump into our theme, John 10, 10. The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. You know, about six years ago, Kim and I, for the first time, our house was broken into. And, and of all things, we we're at church. Can you believe it? Rod, when you're at church, right? Come home from church, and our sliding glass door on the side of the house was smashed. They took our barbecue gas propane thing and threw it through the window. And they, they came in, and you can tell they're younger people because they took an Xbox, right? So they, you got to play, you know, guys, and there are some girls in the video games, but, you know, guys, they got to play their video games, right? So Xbox and, and you know, cash, jewelry, I don't remember everything that they took, but, um, huh? Baby pictures? Some pictures of our little sweet babies. Computer that had everything on it. And, you know, when you're robbed, it's a horrible feeling. It is just a, it's a horrible feeling, especially when, you know, sometimes when you're doing, you feel like something good by going to church, and then you come home, and it's like, ah, why, would, why would something bad when I'm trying to be good, right? It's like when we're being bad, sometimes we expect bad to happen. But when you're being good, you expect only good to happen. It doesn't work like that. doesn't matter. Bad things happen sometimes. But it sucks to be robbed, right? Jesus said, the thief, his purpose, still kill and destroy. But Jesus said, my purpose, to give a rich and satisfying life. Now, that doesn't mean dollar bills, and that's not why you were given dollar bills this morning. Does everybody get their dollars? I'm sorry, I really wish we could have gave you real green bags, but they're fake Monopoly money, so we're just going to have to imagine this morning, okay? So, uh, like I said, because it's like, 
a dollar bill up to a 500. And, and if, if, you know, we would love to have given everyone, you know, 500 and a hundred dollar. We would, believe me, we'd love to. Christmas is around the corner, so we'll be praying for that, right? Anyway. Yes, we receive it. So, Jesus said, rich and satisfying life. And the word used is overabundant, super full. And I don't know about you, but when I go eat, whether I'm going to eat or when I'm eating at home, I don't eat until I'm, I'm half full. I eat till I'm all the way full, right? And this is the kind of full that Jesus is talking about. I didn't come so that you would have just a half life. I didn't come so that you can just experience part of life, a quarter of life. I came so that you can experience the fullest life ever. But the challenge is, just like for our house that was broken in six months ago, many of us, without realizing it, we get broken into spiritually, and we get robbed. Which takes us to our text. Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse Genesis 3, 1. And it says this. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. And God said, you must not eat it or even touch it or you will die. Verse 4, you won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes, they're going to be open as soon as you eat it. You're going to be like God. Oh, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful. Its fruit looked delicious. She wanted the wisdom that it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and she ate it. She gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. And at that moment, their eyes were open, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves up. And so this morning, as we kind of get into this theme and get into our topic today, we see the serpent. Now, the serpent isn't just any kind of serpent. It's really a picture of the devil, right? So bump, bump your neighbor and say, it's a picture of the devil. Eh, the devil. That darn devil. Who was the serpent? Who was the devil? Well, if you know the Bible, Satan started out, he was an angel. He was a very high angel. He was, he, he was one of the best of the best. And you know what his job was in heaven? Leading worship. Oh, my gosh. He was the chief worshiper. But you know what happened as he was leading worship? And he's hearing people sing. He started thinking, are they singing to God? Or are they singing to me? And he started thinking, no, 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 they're not singing to him. I'm so good, they're singing to me. And instantly, his heart turned and instantly became rebellious and said, nah, now nah, I'm above God. I don't need God anymore because I'm like God. I am God. And he was cast out of heaven and he was cast down to the earth. And so this morning as we paint this picture, there's certain words that he used with Eve. And kind of understanding as we, as we paint these words, what was all said in this moment, right? So here's some words that he said to Eve. He said, number one, be like God. Well, that's what he wanted, remember? Now when he was kicked out, so he started thinking, I'm just like God. Maybe I'm even better than God. Secondly, he said, you're going to know. 
you're going to know things, right? How many of us have ever heard a little kid, when I grow up, I'm going to know things. That's why I want to grow up. I want to know things. I'm going to know as much as, and more than my mom and dad. Devil said, you're going to be like God. Number two, he says, you're going to know things. Number three, he said, look at this. Look how beautiful it is. Isn't it amazing? Doesn't it look delicious? Look at this, this beautiful thing. And so Eve, she was convinced. She said, wow, he's right. It does look good. That apple looks delicious. That's got to be amazing. It looks good. It's going to give me something that I don't have. Right? It's going gonna, it's gonna to taste so delicious. The wisdom, the, the word that she used, it's going to give me intelligence. It's going to make me an expert. In one second, Eve started believing that what the devil told her was true, that it was going to be good. It's going to make me intelligent. It's going to make me an expert at this. The biggest thing that stands out to me, though, is what he said was, you're going to be like God. And what he really was saying, because how many of us know sometimes, see, we as people, we're confusing. What the devil was saying, be like God, he wasn't, he wasn't saying that. He wasn't saying, I want you to be like God. He, wants, he was saying, I want you to be like me. He, didn't, he wasn't telling Eve, you need to be like God, because you know why? Adam and Eve were already like God. They were made in his image. They were a reflection. They were the shadow of God. So he wasn't saying to her, he was confusing Adam and Eve. And he wasn't saying, I want you to be like God. What he was saying was, I want you to be like me. Ah, turn to your neighbor and say, be like me. Be like me. Now here's the deal. Okay, we got to be honest with ourselves for a second here. See, we've been trained from a really very young age, and honestly, since the beginning, these words, don't be like God, be like me. Be like me, be like me, be like me. Now, most of us in here, we don't say those words, but subconsciously, we do to all of our family and our friends and the strangers in the community, in the workplace, everywhere we go. We don't tell people be like God. We tell people be like me, be like me, be like me. And let me, let me give you an example. How many of us, you know, when we graduated school, if we did that, hopefully we did. If not, you can take the test, get your GAD, right? That's another day, another story. But hopefully all you did. As soon as you graduated, how many people said, it's either time to work or go to school. I can remember one of the kids that used to play music for us, and the minute he graduated, his dad came into him and said, are you going to school? He said, nope. He said, then get off your butt. You're getting a job. And how many of us, similar situations. It wasn't go do what God wants you to do. It was you're going to do what my parents told me to do, so now I'm telling you to do what I had to do so you can be like me. How many people, if, if you talk to college professors, what are they going to tell you? Go to school, get your degree. If you talk to people who are successful in the workplace, what are they going to tell you to do? Get a job. You need to work. You got to slave away. Sun up to sundown. We, from the very beginning, and what we don't understand is it happened at the beginning when the serpent, also called the devil, said to Adam and Eve, hey, be like God. 
And that's nothing what he was meaning. He didn't, he wasn't meaning he didn't want them to. He said, be like me. And that's a real dangerous thing today because here's the thing, and I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but us as people, we are so funny. We're so funny. If you watch junior high kids, if you watch high school kids, they are not telling one another, you go be great and be you. Silently, subconsciously, they all, what are they doing? We got to be like each other. We got to be like each other. We got to dress alike. We got to talk alike. We got to listen to the same music. We got to do the same things. And then we step back. It even happens in the church. And here, in the old days, if you didn't wear a suit, you were kicked out and you were beat up outside. I'm exaggerating a little bit, right? But people made us feel that way. Shoot, man, if you went to church shorts and flip-flops back in the day, we just going to shoot you right out back, right? It's amazing that, see, in the world, in the church, the language, and it's not a language that God ever intended us to know. We were made in his image, period. But instead of just reflecting and being made who we were meant to be, we revert back to the devil where he's not saying, be like God. No, you didn't need to be like me. So, so many friends and friend circles, when friends talk to one another, what do they do? They do not encourage most of the time. If you notice, most of the friends and friend circles, it's we have to stay here. We have to, like, build a wall around us, and we're going to build a community, and this is going to be us. For some reason, as people, we get so drawn in to being together and the same. When God didn't make you that way, he meant you to be you. Why did he give you an eye that nobody else has? Why did he give you a thumbprint? Nobody else has because you're unique and different, and you are meant to be made in his image, to go out and do the greatest things in this whole entire world. But many times, instead of chasing after who he made us to be, we chase after whoever everyone else is. And our friends, and our family, and our parents, whether it's college, whether it's work, whether it's relationships, always dictating. They're not encouraging to go out and do this. The subconsciously, it's, I want you to be like me. I want you to be like me. I want you to drink what I drink. I want you to eat what I eat. I want you to be like me. Because then, you know what it does? It makes us comfortable as people. When we're around other people, when we're all doing the same thing, we become comfortable. Because I like a comfortable pillow, do you? I like a good pillow. But from the very, 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 very beginning, we've been getting robbed. And we're robbed because we're not going after the best life that he made for us. We're going after the life that everyone else is living and we all have to live the same thing so that we can all fit in and we can all be together. Question is, when is enough enough? When is enough enough? Because you look at this story and as you study the science and, and everything that's in the Bible about this moment, you understand that the earth that was given to Adam and Eve, it was perfection. It was so good. Everything was perfect about this moment. But even in the perfection of the moment, you know what? 
they still fell to the serpent. No matter how good life was, no matter they had a nice budding relationship, it was fresh and exciting, like going to the McDonald's for the first time. It was so good because those shoestring french fries are always good. But anyway, <laughs> Adam and Eve, man, they met. They were in love. Things were going great. They had the whole earth to themselves. And you know what God said? Fill it and populate it. I'm sure they're thinking, hallelujah, that all these good things were happening. Until enough wasn't enough. Enough wasn't enough. It's in our nature. Ecclesiastes says this. Everything is wearisome beyond description. No matter how much we see, we're never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are not content. History merely repeats itself. It's all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. Sometimes people say, here is something new. Nope, it's actually old. Nothing is ever truly new. You know, people today, there's things happening and kids are doing stuff and they're experimenting and we're thinking, oh my gosh, this new fad, this. It's already happened before. Read Genesis. Some of the sick, nasty stuff happened then. It's happening now. It's not any, they're not doing anything new or different. We're not that creative. I mean, we are creative, but we're not that creative, okay? Don't get me wrong. The writer of Ecclesiastes, one of the wisest people on the earth, he says, why is it? We're never satisfied. No matter how much we see, no matter how much we hear, history repeats itself. Something new. 1 Timothy 6.6 6 says, True godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything else when we leave. If we have enough food and clothing, we should be content. But people who long to be rich fall in temptation trapped by many foolish, harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and some people craving money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Philippians 4.11 says, Not that I was ever in need, but I've learned to be content with what I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach, empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have, for God has says, I will never fail you, I will never abandon you, so we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, and I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Adam and Eve, in this situation, they got trapped because they had the world, but a world wasn't enough. And many of us in here this morning, there's so many things that we have, but enough. Come on, let's be honest. It's not enough. It's not enough, no matter what we got. No matter what we got, right? A new car only lasts for so long, and then it's like, I got to buy new again, right? Clothes only last for so long, and it's like, I need to go shopping again. Shoes only last for so long before they wear out, you know? We don't want it to go that long. We got to get them before they wear out, right? We are so stuck as people in our human nature, to not be content with the things that we have because we're always chasing more. Why? It's because of this story, Genesis 3. It all goes back to the beginning. We are never, ever, ever satisfied and content. We're always chasing more. We're always chasing more. And Paul, so Paul describes Paul, Solomon. We have to change the way that we think. 
And we have to learn to be content in all situations. With whatever we have, with whatever God gives us, I have to learn to be content. And so this morning as we've been talking about exposed, which is our theme, and it's not to expose us or what we're going through, but it's to expose the lies of the enemy. And the lies of the enemy, what did they do in that situation? Adam and Eve, it changed the course of history and time forever. The lies that they believed into, the image that they believe into, the moment and the words and what they heard in that moment, it changed everything for themselves, for their kids, and forever. And if the devil in the very beginning was lying, and if the devil in the very beginning was saying, stop being like God, be like me, do you think he's ever stopped? He still does that today. So not only do we have parents who are cramming down our necks, get a job, go to school, all that stuff, which we love our parents for that, right? And then we have our friends, oh, you got to be like me, and you got to have the new 15, and you got to have this, and you got to have these shoes and clothes, and you got to do this, and we got to do this, and we got to talk about this, and you got to watch these nasty shows so that everyone can talk about the same stuff. And so you have groups of ages, and we're all doing some things because it's not like, oh, we're not inspiring each other to be like, oh, no, 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 no. We're just inspiring each other. Let's be like each other. But it's not really us. There's something behind the scenes, behind the curtain. Who is it? It's still the same guy, the devil. And he's saying, be like me. So how do we know if we've ever heard a lie of the devil before? So first thing, number one, there's a change of pace. How many of you ever ran in a race before? And, and I don't know about you, I was that type of kid who I used to run really fast at the beginning and then like by the end I'm like on the ground dying and panting, right? See, many of us is how we live life. We're like so gung-ho in the moment. And, and, and so I've been a believer now, super believer, not really super believer, let's just say believer, okay? 28 years, because I want to sound like I'm, you know, whatever. 28 years. And I can tell you it always starts here with the change of pace. I see people excited for Jesus. Woo, Jesus. We are going to sing, shout, dance, do cartwheels all the way to the car. And then two weeks later, man, that excitement, that, that jogging pace, ah, it's just, I'm dragging. I hope you got espresso and cappuccino and lattes today because I really need a joke. And then... And then instead of just the slow pace, it's crawling. And I got to claw my way to church. <sighs> and then after that, you know what? You're just not there. The chains of pace, it starts with the chains of pace. And you know what, secondly? Then it goes to change of direction. Change of direction. We change our pace, and we're not realizing it. We're not realizing the change of pace. And then next thing you know, we didn't realize... What I was excited about a month ago, I've lost all excitement. And now my life, I'm excited about corn dogs. Just kidding. <laughs> Let's just throw something random in there. I was saying that because I was at a customer's yesterday, and I felt bad. I was watching a kid eat a corn dog, and a fly kept landing on, on this young kid's food. And I'm like, that is so disgusting, you know? I'm glad it's not my corn dog, because I ain't going to eat it, right? So anyway, that's where corn dog came from. Change of direction. 
And then secondly, as the devil's lying to us, when I was, you know, and, and let's go, let's go here. When we were kids, how many of us, we had some of the purest, sweetest dreams. We were, I'm going to, you know, be, I'm not saying this about myself, so don't, a ballerina dancer, you know, I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be this, I'm going to be that, I'm going to be a doctor, fireman, and cop. How many of us, when we were young, such pure little sweet dreams, culture, friends, the enemy dictating lies to us for so long changed the pace and direction of who we thought we wanted to be, right? Number three, change of belief. One minute, I'm believing in God, believing in church, believing in the word, believing in praying. Next thing you know, I'm back to the blue tube just believing in the TV right now. That's all I want to believe in because I'm relaxing, sitting here, being enlightened by the TV or our phones, right? It was God, the word, prayer, and then it was my phone and social media, and I get everything I need from this thing right here. The TV, my phone has every single thing, and I believe in you, phone. We believe in our phones, don't we? Because we we turn them off, and then we hope they turn back on, right? We look to these phones for everything. Pace, direction, belief. And then you know what happens when the pace change, the directions change, our beliefs change without realizing it. You know what happens? We become spiritually blind. Turn to your neighbor and say, I hope that's not you. Oh, man, I hope that's not you. Perfect time for a coffee break. Because Matthew 15, 14, Jesus said, and he's talking about the religious. He said, ignore them because they're blind guides leading the blind. And if one blind person guides another, they both fall into a ditch. Now, here's this, this point here you really got to get. This is crazy. Are you ready? So when our pace changes, the direction changes, and the belief changes, and now spiritually we're blind, you know what we do? We ignore people of truth because now we want to be with blind people. Jesus said... Blind people hang out with blind people. And you know why blind people hang out with blind people? Because if I'm stuck in the pace and direction and belief that I'm in right now, I don't want to bump into some crazy preacher of truth who's going to tell me how I'm wrong and need to be corrected. And so we avoid preachers of truth. I can't tell you how many times I've had friends, frenemies, like me, and then hate me and disappear, because I'm just one of those people who are, I'm probably going to tell you the truth. I'm probably going to just tell you the truth. And, and blind people hate the truth, because blind people, you know what blind people, they don't, they don't want to know the truth. Now that they change their pace and direction and belief system, you know what they want to do? They want to stay blind. Because honestly, here's the thing. Many sick people don't want to get healed. They want to stay sick. Many blind people don't want their eyes open because now their new comfort level is being blind. Ah, I'm back to believing in my old self, in my old ways, and what I used to do, and the lies, and the lies, and not be like God. No, 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 be like me. And so you know what we do? Because we're creatures of comfort, we go back to being around blind people. Because we don't want to be challenged. 
We are who we become and who we hang out with. That's just the bottom line. It, it's, it's in our DNA and our, this is what we are. We do. And so when you change your pace, direction, and belief, you're going to stop coming to church. You're going to stop hanging around with Christians. You're going to stop listening to people who tell the truth because you, you want to go and fall in that ditch with your buddy, right? You know, when, when I was a little naughty as a teenager, how many of me and my friends we used to say, we are going to party here and party in hell together, right? If we're having fun now, we're going to have fun down there too. I was a little rebellious for a short time, right? Not as bad as one of my friends, though. He was a pastor's son, and when he'd fight with his dad, he'd play, I'm on a highway to hell, you know, and he'd get his, his dad, the pastor, all revved up. He'd be, I'm on a high. Not the way any of us know that song, right? And it's sad because sometimes spiritually we don't understand what lies we have believed into and then we refrain from those who can help us the most because we'd rather land in a ditch. And here's a hard question for your neighbor. Ask your neighbor. Oh, I wonder if you're in a ditch this morning. And you know what's even harder to ask your neighbor? Did I help get you there? Did you help me get you there? Did you help me? And so with that this morning, we're not going to go to our money yet, but we are going to go to the chest over here. Can everybody see my chest right here? Okay. So here's the deal with chess. Chess is a very super smart, intelligent game, right? And there's a lot of thinking that can be involved. There's usually two opponents, right? And so as we're, we're kind of looking at this, eh, we can say there's good against evil. We could say there's God on this side and there's a devil on this side. Now we know, because we read the story from beginning to end, the spoiler alert, God wins, right? But as you're playing chess, you're traveling, you're cruising across the board, side to side, all around, right? And the goal is to say checkmate, to be the first one to say checkmate, because you want to capture the king, and you want to win. And here's the thing that the devil sells to us every single day. God's way is not winning. My way wins. My way wins. My way feels better. My way is quicker, faster, picker-upper. Not kidding. I'm going to sell vacuums. But the devil's lie is my way. What did he say to Jesus? If you just bow down and worship me, Jesus, I will give you the world. Jesus, the devil. And we're going to get there in this theme. But you have the devil and you have God warring. And in the end, we know God wins. But does not mean that the devil just gives up and says, I know God wins. Because you know what he does? Because you know what the devil does in the meantime? He wants to take every one of us out. Here's the thing. The devil knows he's going to lose. So what's the goal? I'm going to take as many with me as I can. If I can change your pace... If I can change your direction, 
if I can change the way you believe, if I can make you spiritually blind, then you're going to fall into what? The ditch. Now take out your money, because now we get to the fun stuff, the Monopoly money. Woo! We're just going to dream this stuff is real right here. Everybody got their money? Okay, so let's look at it. We got a, a dollar. We got a big five dollar. Ten, twenty, fifty, hundo, right? And boo, five hundred dollars. We just wish we can snap, snap, and boof, turns real, right? Not gonna happen. Now here's the deal. Let's hold up our five hundred, and then let's hold up our dollar. If they were real, and they're not. Which one would you value more? Would you prefer would you prefer to get a $500 or a dollar bill? Probably the 500. Come on, let's not lie. We're in church. Let's be honest. We don't want a dollar. We want a 500. We want to get rich quick, right? Here's the thing with money. And here's the thing with life. We place so much value on so many different things that honestly in the end it just always comes up short. And if we really would just stick to the little things in which we were given, one day they're gonna build up to more than what we expected. And then when we turn to the word of God with this, with the money, see when we come to church, let's just say, feels like I was given a dollar at church today. Because you were. You're giving a dollar. It's just a fake dollar. See, sometimes we come to church, and when we hear something, we put value to it. Well, today, I got a buck. Man, next Sunday was better. I got five bucks. Church on Sunday felt really much way better. John must have got more sleep. Or just had more coffee. Man, one Saturday felt like a hundred bucks. It was so good. Man. And no matter, see what you value when you're in here, when you're listening, when you walk out, no matter what the value is when you're here, no matter what the value is when you're sitting here, the minute you walk out, you know what happens? It starts going away. You know why? See, how many of us, we come to church, we hear something, we put value to it. Yeah, I needed that. That's good. Thank you, Jesus. And then two days later, it's a distant, faded memory of the past. Like pepperoni pizza we had two days ago. It's a distant memory of the past. You know why? The Word of God, money, the spiritual life. It comes to faith, and it comes to being and having muscle. Here's the thing. If you hear something of value, and you do nothing with it, it's your fault you did not work and continue to build upon what it was of the value. If I'm given a dollar, and it was a good hearty dollar, man. Sunday, a good hearty dollar. It wasn't just like a little dollar. It was like a good hearty dollar. When I leave here, God wants me to take the value of the dollar and put that to work. Put it to work. Because here's what happens. Let's be honest. 
Here, here's what happens. We hear something, and maybe we don't hear anything because we're talking with our friends. We hear something, but maybe we don't hear because our stomach's growling. We know we should hear something, but we're not listening. The value in the moment. The value. And the thing is, when you leave here, we're all going to go do things we value. But if you're not going to get out of this moment, if you're not valuing the moment that you're in, you want to chase the $500 bill because it looks and sounds better. But maybe what God has for you in this moment, you missed it because to you it just looked like a dollar. And then tomorrow, because it's, I walked out and it was good and I, I kind of liked it. I think I should, you know, kind of keep this in my memory folder bank library somewhere. Uh, but I do nothing. You know what happens? Five days later, whatever it was that God spoke to you about on Sunday, it's gone. It's gone. And then on, by the sixth day, you know what we're saying? I don't even remember what I, what I heard last week. Like, I don't even know if I feel like going to church today because I'm tired and I'm this and I'm that. Have any of us ever worked out before? Have any of us ever worked out before? If you work out, we would know that working out, which is just awesome and amazing. But if you work out once, does it do anything for your body? What do you have to do? You got to continue working out to where you start feeling good. And when it comes to the things of God, here's where we miss it. What God, when we listen, when we value, no matter what's given to us, when we soak it in, when we leave, what do you do with what God gives you? Not me, not John. This has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with you, and it has everything to do with the Holy Spirit. Because what God is trying to speak to you it's not me. You and what you take from here, and then you work at it. If you don't work at this, by the end of the week, believe me, the feelings are gone. The feelings are gone. What you hear on Sunday, maybe you turn on the radio on Tuesday and listen to a good Christian song, and it's like, ah, some of those little feelings are coming back. We wonder... And here's a prime example. One of my good, good friends. You know, one week, again, you can have a good friendship and you're talking about God. And then next week, your friend wants to kill you, take you outside and stone you to death. Because in some moments, without realizing it, we change the pace, change the direction, change my belief. And I stop putting my faith to work. When I stopped putting my faith to work, five days later, when I felt absolutely nothing at all, I'm thinking, why should I do? I'm stuck. I don't feel like going to church. I don't feel like going to work. I don't feel like doing anything. Because we didn't put it to work. If you want to keep faith moving and growing, expanding, you have to continue to build brick at a brick at a brick at a brick. So during the week, what do we do? How do we do that? I know it sounds simple, and you've heard it 
you got to open up the Bible and read it. Here's the, here's the thing. If you don't know the truth, then it's easy to believe a lie. The more you read the truth, the more you read the truth, it will become more difficult to believe the lies of the enemy. There's great music you can listen to, turn on during the week. So many different things that we can do to feed our faith. So as we start to wrap up this morning, I want to close with a story. I was listening to a pastor, and he was talking about how he, he started this super awesome thing, and he was taking care of um, homeless people. He was taking care of people who spent their life, you know, addicted and wanted to become free. And so there was this one homeless man. For 18 years, he was a very famous homeless man in L.A. And every day, he'd go out there, and they would invite homeless people into their center. It's called the Dream Center. And so they'd invite these people. But the pastor, he would beg. He would plead. He would ask. And the man always said no. And then one day, a youth group comes to town from out of state. And then all of a sudden, they're in the cafeteria, and they're eating, and the pastor sees the homeless guy. He's like, where does this guy come from? And not only was he just there eating, he was, he was taking food and shoving it everywhere he could get it, right? Because now he's there, he's going to get all he can get. So he finds the youth group, and he says, man, I tried to bribe this guy, give him 20 bucks, offer 20 bucks. I begged, I pleaded, all these things. He never would come. What did you do? And the group said, I was taught that I need to compel people to get to the house of God. And that's what I did. I compelled this man into this place. Since 1990, estimated 40 million adults have left the Church of Jesus Christ. Since 1990, the church has been on a decline. 40 million. And so those adults and their kids all left. Five years ago, COVID. No, in fact, after COVID, many people haven't gone back. So people who do research and studies, they have asked people around the world, now that COVID's over, over, would you go back? And you know what the weird answer is? There's a lot of people who said yes, but here's the thing. Some of them are like, but God needs to really like hit me on the head, tell me I need to go back to church. God needs to really, you know, shine a bright light down from heaven and spell out church before I go back. And it's the same story as the homeless man. There's so many people who have left who want to come back, but they need to be compelled. And we make daily excuses about what we compel other people to do. And we make all the excuses in the world why we don't compel them into the house of God. That homeless man who was homeless for a good chunk of his life because he was compelled to go to church, he decided, I'm going to go to Bible school. Becomes a pastor. He's been a pastor ever since, and now he's compelling people into the house of God because teenagers did what the old pastor couldn't do. Because of the compelling, because of the compassion, they compelled the man to come, and his life was forever, ever changed. God is asking us, see, as we are at the end, 
as we get closer to the end of life as we know it, he's asking us to compel people into his house and not get stuck. There's so many things that we can get stuck on. There's money, there's life, there's this, there's that, there's living, there's all these things that we can get so stuck on. Even in the end, we can get stuck on just being afraid of, man, what happens if we get bombed? What happens if this happens? What happens if this? Well, God's saying, there's so many things to be worried about, and that's not what I put you here to do. I put you to compel people. So we as people, we compel our friends. And, and I hear a lot of conversations. When somebody wants to do something great, I've heard friends tell other friends, ah, oh, yeah, sounds like a great idea. That didn't sound very compelling. Because sometimes as friends, we don't want to see other friends succeed more than what, how I have succeeded. And so friends hold each other back even from what God wants them to do. We're all made in the image of God. The reflection, the beauty, the strength, the courage, all the things that God put inside of us. But yet we all revert to being the same. Only in God can you really find you. Paul talks about in Colossians that, that God holds the whole world together with Jesus. And if you open up your body, there's this little thing called laminin. It's the shape of a cross that is holding your body together. How is it that our body is filled with thousands, millions of little crosses? It's because it's the story of Jesus that can only laminin holding us together. We don't find ourselves in our friends. And we don't find ourselves really at college or at school. We don't find ourselves in sports. And we don't find ourselves on the golf course. We don't find ourselves there. We only truly find ourselves when we come to him. We come to God and say, God, here I am. Show me. What verse did we start with? John 10.10. 10. The thief comes, steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, my purpose is to give you a full life. God has a full life for you this morning. God has a full life for you this morning. God has a full life for you. More than any man, woman, anything on this planet, if you want the fullest of full, it's only in him. And it's not only in him, you have to continually, remember, work out our faith because no matter how much value we see in this moment it will fade away most of us in here we're going to walk out and i hope that you don't whatever god's trying to stir into you this morning he wants you to take that write it down put it in your phone and then you think about it every day so that you start building upon the thing that god's speaking to you about and so that your life so that faith grows let's pray